Well, we pick up today where we left off last week, Luke chapter 4. Jesus has been rejected by his hometown, and so he travels to Capernaum, which will serve as a base of operations for him moving forward. Last week, we talked about how Jesus' movements are tracing the steps of ancient Israel. As he moves through the waters of baptism, into the wilderness, and then into the land, this mirrors the movements of Israel through the waters of the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and into the land of Canaan. And so we should expect to see Jesus engaging in some sort of conquest. Jesus is the greater Joshua. He has come to drive out the enemy. In fact, the name Jesus is just a Greek transliteration of the name Joshua. Jesus' Hebrew name actually is Joshua. And so again, we should expect to see him facing enemies and defeating them. And that is precisely what we see in our passage today. But before we jump into that, I want to pose a question. Does Jesus care more about your body or your soul? Does Jesus care more about your body or your soul? You're probably guessing that it's a trick question. Um, It presents a false dilemma. And honestly, I'm not convinced that we should even be talking about our bodies and our souls as two divisible things. But regardless, it's worth pointing out that most of us, or at least most of our most of American Christianity, I would say, tend towards saying that Jesus cares more about our souls, right? But today, the Gospel of Luke is going to give us a more well-rounded view of what Jesus came to do. He did not just come in order to zap our disembodied souls up into heaven. He came to redeem everything about life on earth. He He came to begin the project of bringing heaven down to earth. That's what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer every week. And so he came to redeem us entirely, body, soul, mind, and spirit. Verse 31, and Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So once again, Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Last week, Jesus visited the synagogue in Nazareth, and this week, Jesus visits the synagogue in Capernaum. As I mentioned last week, Jesus was a weekly churchgoer, and we are his disciples. And so his custom of weekly worship should be our custom of weekly worship. If Jesus thought he needed it, then we definitely need it. But there's one, there's one thing I want to point out here in verse 32 because it establishes a theme for what follows. They were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. The word of Christ is powerful. In fact, he is the word through whom the universe was spoken into existence. And as we will see, when he speaks, all created things obey even demons. Jesus has already faced the devil in the wilderness, and now he faces demons in the synagogue. Jesus has already defeated the prince of darkness in the wilderness, and now he's going to defeat his minions. He has bound the strong man, and now he is plundering his house. Verse 33. 
In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Now, this ought to be a striking scene from the onset. Satan's forces have occupied Israel's places of worship. Not only have demons entered into the synagogue, but they are boldly speaking in the synagogue. Now, there aren't too many demons in the Old Testament, but when we do encounter them, they're usually in the wilderness. Demons dwell in desolate places. But here we see that the demons have infiltrated the sanctuary of God. They have dared to wander from the wilderness and into populated places, into the land. Israel has become occupied territory, not just by the Romans, but by the enemies underneath and behind those enemies. The people of God are subject to the forces of darkness, and so the light of the world, the greater Joshua, has come to drive them out. And the demons know this. In the New Testament, some of the truest, most insightful statements are actually spoken by demons. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebukes the demon. Shut up, he says. Literally, muzzle yourself and come out of him. And because the word of Christ is powerful, because he is the word through whom the universe was spoken into existence, Jesus speaks and even demons obey. And again, the people are astonished. They were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. You see, the people recognize that Jesus does not have to appeal to a higher power. There is no magic formula or special incantation. He doesn't have to summon or call upon an external authority. There is no other source from which he derives his authority because he is the source. And so Jesus cleanses the synagogue with the power of his word. He speaks it clean. He speaks the synagogue clean. He exercised dominion. As the greater Joshua, he drives out his enemies with the sword of his authoritative word. But that's not all. Jesus has not only come to redeem our souls, right? He has come to redeem our bodies as well. And so we're going to see a number of parallels in the verses that follow. Verse 38. Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. He rebukes the fever. That's strange, right? But I think Luke is inviting us to lean into the strangeness of that. Jesus rebukes the demons and they obey. 
But Jesus also rebukes diseases and they obey. Jesus is again driving out the enemy. He is driving out the forces of darkness and he is driving out their greatest weapon, which is death. Simon's mother-in-law is healed. Her disease is exorcised. The powerful word of Christ has dominion over everything. Everything. And Jesus also has dominion over all places. Here in Luke chapter 4, Jesus demonstrates his power and dominion in the wilderness. Jesus demonstrates his power and dominion in the sanctuary. And Jesus demonstrates his power and dominion in the privacy of a home. He is Lord of your home. He is Lord over this church. And he is Lord over everything you do out in the world. Every thought, every word, every deed, every interaction, every purchase. The conquering Jesus invades all of that. Because the conquering Jesus drives out the darkness from every last corner of our existence. In the words of Abraham Kuyper, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is the Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus has all dominion. And we fall into sin when we fool ourselves into thinking that his dominion is anything less than total. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been purchased. And so what dark corners of your existence do you need to bring into the light? What aspects of your existence are you shielding from the the powerful purging rebuke of Jesus? Because he has come to heal you. Jesus has come to heal you, body and soul. So let him. Luke drives this home in verses 40 and 41. More healings, more exorcisms, body and soul, body and soul. Total dominion, the powerful word of Christ. He is undoing both the spiritual and the physical effects of the fall. And then we come to verse 42. Jesus began healing the people at sunset, and he continues healing them all throughout the night. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus has come not only to drive out the enemy in Capernaum, but to drive out the enemy everywhere. There's an important distinction, though. In the book of Joshua, human beings are being conquered. But in the Gospel of Luke, demons are being conquered. You see, Jesus has not come to take life. Jesus has come to give his own life, right? As the greater Joshua, Jesus is marching through the land of Israel like a great conqueror. 
but he is also the greater David. And as the greater David, Jesus is making his way ultimately toward Jerusalem. But whereas David reached Jerusalem and defeated the enemy and was crowned and took up his throne in the capital city, Jesus is crowned and glorified and enthroned, not by a military victory, but through apparent defeat, through the victory of a crucifixion. Jesus is paraded through the streets in a purple robe with a crown upon his head. As a crowd shout, and he ascends not to a throne, but to a cross. And of course, for those with eyes to see, for those with the eyes of faith, this is no defeat. This is the greatest, most powerful victory the world has ever seen. The powerful and authoritative word of Christ is muted in the crucifixion. The word incarnate grows silent, but the forces of darkness are defeated once and for all. And that strikes me as a, as a great irony. Jesus travels throughout Judea, rebuking demons and diseases by the power of his word. His conquest is a spoken conquest. His voice has the power to drive out the enemy. And yet Jesus wins the final battle without speaking a word. The incarnate word ultimately wins by being muzzled and extinguished. This is, this is an otherworldly kind of power. But make no mistake, it is true power. Because on the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Or as he says in John chapter 16, he has overcome the world. The word overcome there is actually conquer. Jesus says, take heart. I have conquered the world. He conquers the forces of evil and he does this by giving his own life. And this victory is now appropriated to us. It's given to us, to those who follow him, to all who were represented by him. His victory is our victory, and and in him, in union with him, we now have authority over the forces of darkness. But how? How are we to channel the power and authority of Christ? You feel like you walk in that day to day, the power and authority of Christ? So how how do we channel that? Well, the most obvious weapon that we've been given is the word of God. We've been given the scriptures. The God who spoke the world into existence and speaks his enemies into submission has given us a word. And he has preserved it for centuries through the generations so that we should never be powerless in the face of darkness. We have in the Bible a source of true authority. And we have only to read it. We have only to internalize it to memorize it, to speak it, to pray it. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit, but we have to learn to wield it. That's not all we've been given. Let's look back at verse 42. What does Jesus do when he's depleted? 
What does Jesus do after a long, exhausting night of healings and exorcisms? He spends time in prayer. He prioritizes prayer. He is too tired not to pray. That's not how I talk about prayer. But he's too tired not to pray. Jesus is in the middle of a cosmic battle. He's surrounded by a growing crowd of people with a growing list of demands, a long line of demons and diseases. And if there were ever a time where he could justify neglecting a bit of prayer, this was it. But instead, he goes to a desolate place to be with his father. No list of needs could justify neglecting communion and intimacy with his heavenly father. Because no prayer equals no authority. No prayer equals no authority. Prayer is what prepares him to keep on preaching the good news. Prayer is what propels him into new towns full of needy people. Prayer is what empowers his preaching. And so if Jesus derived power and authority from his knowledge of the scriptures and his time spent in prayer, then we should not expect to channel his power and authority apart from those same rhythms and practices. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly and when we have been with the Father in prayer, then we will be, then others will be astonished at our words too. Our words will have power and authority if we engage in the same practices as Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we desire to know you deeply and intimately, and to, to wield your, your word with power and authority. And so we ask that you would draw us near. Draw us near. Jesus, we praise you for having conquered the world by the giving of your own life. Thank you for loving us, body and soul, and thank you for inviting us into your redemptive project, bringing heaven to the earth. Holy Spirit, teach us to to love and to speak with the power and authority of Christ. Inspire in us that spirit of prayer and a, a true love of the scriptures. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.